At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom. Well, I got a question for you. How many of you are control freaks? Let's see it. Yep. Yep. How many people have to be in control? Like when you're driving down the road and somebody else is actually driving the car, does it give you anxiety? I don't know about you, but, uh, but I am like that, right? That's me. Man, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I have to be in control of a situation. I have to have control. I don't like it when things are out of control. And even when, like, I, I won't let my wife, we just drove, I think, 5,200 miles um, out west, and, and we put 5,200 miles on, and I didn't let my wife drive at all. One, because we were pulling a camper, and I was very fearful of that. But I, I just, I, I don't know what it is. I just got to be in control of that situation because I don't want it to spin, like, out of, you know, just... We might end up in the ditch. You never know, right? But she'd say the same with me for sleeping, but I never sleep at the wheel. But I got to be in control. And there's certain people that feel like they have to be in control. And if I'm being honest with you, one of the things that I struggle with sometimes is being in control of my life, of being in control of my future, of my life, of what's going on of allowing God to actually have control of my life and be in control of what's happening and of trusting God and having faith that he has it all worked out, that he knows what's best for me. Anybody else? Man, sometimes I I struggle with that. Sometimes I walk through things in moments where I'm like, God, really? Like, can can I take lead here? Can I have control? See, if I'm not in control, how can I be confident that my life is going to go the way that I want it to go? If I'm not in control of it, how how can I actually be confident that that everything's going to go where I want it to go and how I want it to happen? See, trusting in God and taking Him at His word takes faith. It takes believing that God knows best and, and that, we can, that he can work everything out perfectly according to his will, according to what he wants, according to his perfect plan. It takes faith to actually have faith that he's going to control the situation and that I can let go of it and I don't need to be in control. There's a quote that says this, Faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step. Man, one of my good friends, DP, 
Daniel Park, he, he, he was a student back in the day for me and, and eventually grew up and, and, and went away to college and, and kind of decided that he wanted to go into the mission field. And I thought, wow, that's cool. And, and then he told me what he actually wanted to do. And, and so he spent a, a year in Liberia in one of the worst situations that I've ever seen. And, and he had to go undercover and he's eating bugs out of stumps and all these things. And I mean, he, he's just crazy. I'm like, man, that's where God's calling you? And he's like, yeah, man, I, I don't know. And I'm like, well, how do you know what's, what's going to happen next? Like, where are, you, where are you going from here? Like, what's the future? And he used to tell me, he's like, I don't have a plan. I was like, wait a minute, you don't have a plan. Like, you got to know where you're going next year, right? And he's like, no. Every morning I wake up and I ask God, where do you want me today? Every morning he wakes up and he says, God, I just want to be faithful and obedient today in the next step that I take. That my prayer is, is that, that as I take my next step, that I don't need to see the future, I just need to see the next step that you have for me. And I want to be obedient, I want to be faithful in, in that step. See, this faith is exactly what we see in the life of Elijah today. Rather than trying to take control of his life, he faithfully trusts God and takes him at his word every step of the way. See, he's not looking way into the future. He's just faithfully responding in each day, in each thing that God brings, in each prompt with obedience and dependence. And that's where we're at today. We're, we're starting our new series in, in 1 Kings and, and taking a look at the life of Elijah, this guy named Elijah, not Elisha, Elijah. And how he was faithful and obedient in every way to God. See, in James chapter 5 in the New Testament, it tells us this, that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That he was a man with a nature like ours. That he wasn't different than us. That he was a guy that had, had the same struggles as us, that went through the same things as us, maybe, maybe even in a different time. But he actually was a lot like us that he walked through similar things, that, that he was a, a man, just a simple, ordinary man. See, a lot of times when we think about Elijah, we think about Elijah in the stories, and, and we read about him, and we think he was this like superhuman with super, like, you know, supernatural uh, uh, abilities to, to talk to God, and that, that he was a, a super prophet, and all these things. He had, a, he had a unique connection with God, but the truth is, is that he wasn't. He was just an ordinary man who was faithful and obedient. And see, the truth is, is that we... As believers, all have that same communication with God, that we all can communicate with God the same way that Elijah did, that we all have that connection, maybe even more through Christ, that we have a unique connection with God. So today, as we open God's Word to 1 Kings chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, you can turn in there, 1, King, 1 Kings chapter 17, we're, we're going to see what it looks like to have a life of faith. And as we read in this chapter, chapter uh, we're at a point where God's people have lost their way. They've completely lost their way. Uh, there were many kings since King David that had come after him, and these kings were basically leading God's people further away from him rather than actually bringing them closer to God and to a life of holiness. See, the king on the throne at this time was King Ahab, and he wasn't a great guy. 
This was an evil king. He was not a good person. He ruled for 22 years. Him and his wife Jezebel worshipped Baal. And as chapter 16, uh, verse 33 tells us just before our passage today, it says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Basically, he was way more evil than any king that had come before him. If you think about this, this wasn't a popular time to be a follower of Jesus Christ or of God. This wasn't a popular time to be a Christian. Yet through it all, as we'll see today, Elijah stands strong in his faith and in is obedient to God in every word. What I want us to see today is our big idea that a life of faith is a life of trusting God and taking him at his word. But what does that look like? What does it mean to take him at his word? What, is, what does it mean to have a life of faith? What does that, a life of faith look like? Let's jump into our passage as we look at uh, Elijah's story. Today I want us to see two things from Elijah's life that, that show us what a life of faith looks like. The first one is that his unconditional obedience, as we see in chapter 17, verse 1, starting there. And it says... We got a big passage today. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the, and the word of the Lord came to him Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought, them, brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Sidon. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and, her, she and he and her whole household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The first thing we see in this passage is that this guy, Elijah, right, he comes onto the scene. 
Now, up until this point, we know nothing about Elijah. He just appears on the scene. We're given no background, no information on this guy. He basically just shows up, and all we know is that he's a Tishbite, it says. We're not even told that he's a prophet yet. So here's this guy, and he goes to one of the most corrupt, evil kings of all time, Ahab, to tell him that there's going to be no rain, no dew, unless he says so. Imagine this. He's telling the king this. Dew and rain were extremely important for the the land of Palestine, right? If this judgment meant that, that there was going to be a drought, obviously there was going to be one that was a catastrophic thing in the kingdom, right? And what's funny is that the God that they were serving, Baal, he was the God of storms or the God of rain. That's what makes it kind of funny here. That he was actually the God of rain. We all know without rain, things die, right? If you don't water your garden and the sun just beats on it, it's going to dry up and die. So this wasn't good for Ahab. This wasn't good news for him. See, the judgment meant a drought, which meant famine, no food or water. And imagine telling a king that the God that you worship is not in control. Imagine going to a king who's evil and saying, the God that you worship is not in control, but not only that, the God that I worship is the ultimate God and he is in control and he is going to tell you when and, when and where you're going to get rain. That you're not going to get it unless he actually says so. Man, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of faith on Elijah's part. If we look in Deuteronomy 11, God literally warns Israel of this exact thing. He says this, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. See, God warned them. He warned them that this was going to happen. He warned them against this So here we are, Elijah tells him there's going to be a drought. See, delivering this message could have gotten him killed or or gotten him thrown into prison or, or, or something else. But he tells the king and the queen, and he looks him in the face, and he tells him, hey, this is what's going to happen. See, Elijah had unconditional obedience. He listened to what God told him and trusted in the fact that he was going to take care of him. Elijah was faithful And as we're going to see, he repeatedly obeys the word of the Lord. Right after he delivers the news, God tells him to leave and head east to the brook where he can drink and the ravens will deliver him food. Now, if we know anything about ravens, they're scavengers, right? We were out west last week and and there's some giant ravens out there. And they're just on the roadside picking through flesh and picking through roadkill. Ravens are are not something that's going to give you food, right? I googled what um, a raven actually eats and it says this. In the wild, ravens are opportunistic feeders and their diet varies based on habitat and available food sources. They are omnivorous, which is is meat and uh, plant, and will feed on everything from small animals to nesting birds, eggs, and berries. They will also eat carrion, the decaying flesh of dead animals, scavenge from other predators, and even human landfills. They basically eat anything and everything that is available to them, right? Now, why am I telling you this? 
Why would I actually point out what a raven eats? I'm telling you this because if you look at what God's telling him to do, it might not make sense in this situation, right? It, it, it might not click. It might not make sense to him. Like, are you serious, God? Like, a raven? Like, like why would you, you send a raven to me? Why, why not a swan, right? Like, a raven's not going to give up its food. The point is, Elijah didn't ask any questions. It may not have made sense to him, but he didn't ask any questions. He just obeyed, and when it maybe didn't make sense, or he thought to himself, seriously, he just obeyed. His only response was obedience. It says, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Listen, sometimes things aren't going to make sense to us. Sometimes things are going to be a little bit confusing. God may ask you to go somewhere, or, or he may ask you to do something, or he may ask you to be a part of something. He, he may bring a struggle into your life that doesn't make sense. That moment when you actually start to feel it. The moment when he says, hey, I, I want you to talk to that person about me. And you're like, really, God? No, come on. I can't talk to them. And he brings these moments up. He may bring struggles into your life. Listen, we're called in these moments to unconditionally obey. Just taking the next step of faith. To just walk. Take the next step. Take the next step. Be faithful. Be obedient. We see that God held up his end and did exactly what he said he would do to sustain Elijah because of his unconditional obedience. God sustained him. And what do we see next? As the time passes, he, he hides by this brook and he drinks from it and the ravens are bringing him food and all of this stuff is happening. And, and what happens? A drought comes into the land. Well, naturally, when, when a drought comes into the land, the, the river starts to dry up. And so he comes back to him again. And he says, arise, go to Zarephath. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Again, like, just go to Zarephath and find a widow. Like, God, what are you talking about here? Most of the time in this day and age, widows were poor, were known for, for poverty. But again, we see in this verse 10, he says, so he arose and went to Zarephath. Again, no questioning or discussion, just unconditional obedience. And then he gets to the gate. He finds this, this poor widow who's there and he says, hey, can, can you get me some water? And she says, yeah, I'll get you some water. And then he says, oh wait, uh, can, you, can you bring me a morsel of bread? And she's there collecting sticks and, and she says, hey, I, I can't because here's the problem. I, I'm, I'm actually I have a son, and, and I'm, I'm, I've got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, and, and I'm collecting these sticks so that I can make our last supper, our last dinner, and then after that, we're just going to die. Like, we're, we're just done after this point. And again, Elijah's banking on God's promise that this poor widow that has nothing is going to sustain him because of his unconditional Obedience. 
He tells her to go. Make the bread and bring a piece back to me. And then he tells her, hey, don't worry. You won't starve. You're not going to die. You're going to be okay. And it's not going to run out. That you're going to have food and you're good and don't worry about it. You're going to. Now, I want to point out not just Elijah's obedience here. I want to point out this widow that, that had faith in what he was saying. And she goes, she obeys him. She goes and obeys the word of the Lord and says, hey, I'm just going to go and do it. The obedience that she had there. And what do we see? God keeps his promise and provides food for him. The widow and her child, God keeps his word and promise in both circumstances and, and miraculously provides in both of these circumstances because of their unconditional obedience in every situation. When the word of the Lord came to Elijah, he responded in immediate, unconditional obedience. My question is, is that our response today to the word of the Lord? Man, if you're a parent, when you tell your kids to do something, you want them to do it, right? Or maybe you're an employee or a, a, an employer and, and you want your employers to obey or employees to obey. But man, when you're a parent and you ask your kid, hey, go clean your room, you want them to go just clean their room. Or hey, do the dishes, I want you to just go and do the dishes. And sometimes they'll look back at you and you say, well, if I clean my room, can I have ice cream? Well, hey, if I do the dishes, can I get five minutes of screen time extra? And you're like, no. No, I just want you to unconditionally go obey. I just want you to go do it. There's no condition to it. I just want you to actually obey me and go do it and then see if you get a reward. I don't want you to do it because there's a reward. I want you to unconditionally obey me. But the question is, is how many times do we do the same thing to God? How many times do we actually do the same thing to God? We put conditions on our obedience rather than responding with faith-filled action. Man, how many times do we say, God, hey, I'll go here if you do this. Or I'll do this if you do that. Or let me have this and, and then I'll go there. So let me ask you a question. When, when was the last time you heard God speak? Like, if you think in your life, when was the last time you actually heard God speak to you? And then what did you do about it? Like, how did you respond? What did you do? Did you respond with unconditional obedience? Or did you explain it away, argue with God about it, and put conditions on it? How did you actually respond to God speaking into your life? See, what's remarkable about this story of Elijah is that each time the word of the Lord came to him, he, re, he responded in unconditional obedience immediately. No questions. He didn't ask how the ravens were going to feed him. He didn't ask where to find the widow. You don't see any questions in this passage. He literally just says, okay, and gone. And he responds in immediate, immediate obedience. And what's amazing is that on the other side of obedience, God's provision was there in miraculous ways. God provided as he promised. But the only way for him to experience it was through unconditional obedience. The only way for him to actually understand and see God's provision was actually to go and obey and do what God asked him to do. See, God went before Elijah in, in each situation, in each scenario, as he commanded the ravens, and he commanded the widow to supply his needs. 
And God goes before us in our obedience. He's working all the promises out. But to experience those promises, the truth is, is that we have to walk in faith and obedience. See, Jesus is the greatest example of this. Jesus is the greatest prophet that ever lived. In every situation, he responded in unconditional obedience, even becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, right? And on the other side of his unconditional obedience was the blessing that we see here that it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, I wonder how many times, or how many of us here this morning, are missing out on God's blessing. Man, I wonder how many of us are actually missing out on what God actually has for us or the things that he wants to show us or, or the blessings that he wants to give us or the, the direction that he wants to take us and we're just saying, oh, wait, God, I'm not ready. Or, hey, if you do this, I'll go here. And we're missing out on the blessings that actually could come with our obedience to the Lord. And my prayer is, is that we would be people of faith and that we would respond to God's word with unconditional obedience. The second thing that a life of faith requires is complete dependence. Complete dependence. Man, this is a hard one here. If we pick up in verse 17, it says, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper room or upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child life come back into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Man, when we look at the difference between verse 16 and 17, we see this huge transition here, right? We see this huge moment of miraculous things that God's doing with the raven and with the widow and, and the unconditional obedience. And God's doing these awesome things to all of a sudden it flips in verse 17 to tragedy. Now we have this tragic moment, right? The widow that fed Elijah, her son, had become ill. Basically, he was dead in her arms. He had no breath left in him, it says. And this woman is basically in despair and losing her son. I mean, why would God save them 
by feeding them, but then all of a sudden allow her son to die. See, she believed, like many others of this time, that death or sickness was a punishment of hidden sin that now had come to light. She says, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to uh, repentance and to cause the death of my son. And how does Elijah respond to all this? He doesn't say much here. He doesn't make a response. He just says, give me your son. What he does is he, he takes him up into the upper chambers where, where he's staying. He lays him on the bed, and, the, and he responds in two different ways here. And I want to point this out. The first one that we see is a very similar response to the widow. It's almost this response of despair where, he, where he's in despair. It's like he's crying out to God in despair. And the second one is completely dependent upon God. The second cry out to God is completely dependent upon God. He, he places the whole situation in God's hand and cries out the second time for God to restore life to this boy, to bring breath back into his light, lungs, like bring him back to life. See, Elijah knew that the only way that this young boy was going to come back to life is if God actually did it, that it was completely dependent upon God. See, the crazy thing was that this was an unprecedented prayer. As there is no precedent in Israel's history for a dead person being made alive again up until this point. See, this was the first time that we see a prayer like this in, in the history of the Bible. That, that the first time, the first resurrection that we see recorded in the Bible. See, to pray this prayer, he had to have an incredible faith. He had to understand that God would actually do it. Or he could do it, right? And then how do we see God respond? God did exactly what he asks. It says, the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. See, Elijah knew that there was nothing that he could do. There was nothing that he could actually do, and he was completely dependent upon God. Just as he did by the riverside being fed by the ravens, being sustained by the widow, and now, raising this young boy to life, he was completely dependent upon God. Man, when's the last time you depended on someone or something? I told you earlier, I, I have a hard time depending on people. I, my wife also always tells me I don't ask for help enough, and I'll just try to do it on my own, right? I just have a hard time depending on other people, and, and, and it's something that, that I deal with. But, but what does dependence mean here? Dependence is the state of relying on or being controlled by someone or something else. Man, have you ever been in that situation? This last week, we were out west, as I said, and, and my daughters, we were right near Yellowstone, and my daughters were like, hey, I want to go horseback riding in the mountains. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, let's look for it. And we were looking all around, and my word, they pay a fortune to do that. Whew. Holy smokes. So, you know, me being cheap, um, I just went and I started searching all around for the best price. And I found this old cowboy. I mean, like he was just, I don't know what kind of outfit he was running, but he had 40 horses and a little stable off the side of the, the road. And it said, you know, I mean, come on in and, and get a horseback ride, right? 
So we pull in there and we get up there and, and this old cowboy, he's unloading hay. So, you know, he said it was nine o'clock, you're leaving, but he's just unloading hay and everything was chill and he didn't care. It was 9.15. And then he comes and these guys are saddling up these horses. And normally, like I see these people riding in the mountains, they have a rope that goes from the halter all the way up to the next saddle and then that goes to the next. And they string them all together so that the guy leading can actually lead all the horses up through the switchbacks in the mountains. Well, that wasn't the case here. So he saddles up each one of our horses. Now, I grew up on a farm. I had horses. I knew how to ride a horse. I was fine with me, but my family had never been on horses. And so here's my two daughters, you know, 11 and 8, and then my wife, who are on their own horse. And this guy, he takes us up through the switchbacks, and we're going up through the mountains. And all of a sudden, I'm looking back, and like my 8-year-old is like, 50 yards behind us, and some of the, the rock that we're climbing, they're, they're losing footing, right? And it's like, and they're starting to fall. And, and my daughter, Kinsley, back there, she said her horse sat down once because it actually slid when it was coming down the mountain, which is actually more scary than going up the mountain because you're actually sliding on the shale and stuff. And the whole time, I'm literally freaking out back there trying to slow my horse so that I can actually slow them down. Well, this guy is like, he's gone, right? He's like, don't worry, I'll beat you back, right? And here we are in the mountains, coming down switchbacks. If you fall off your horse or your horse goes nuts, you are going to die. And for that moment, I had to be completely dependent on the horse. I had to trust in the fact that that horse my daughter was sitting on, I could not do anything. I was out of control. I had no control over the situation, which drove me absolutely insane, that I had to depend on those horses, to get my kids and my family down the mountain and safe. It was a complete dependence on that. See, today, how many of us are trying to do things on our own? How many of us are actually trying to, to make our own path? Oh, God, I'm, I'm willing to obey you, right? I'm willing to go there, but, but let me get this situated first. God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. God, I'm willing, willing to, to walk through this if you want me to walk through it. Uh, God, if this should, ha should happen to me, like I'm okay with it, God. I, I trust in you that, that, that everything's going to be okay and you know what's best for me. And we talk about it all the time and we do that. And then the rubber hits the road. And then we start to make excuses. We say, well, wait, God, uh, let me just get a little bit more money. Let me, let me make sure my talent is up to par. Let me make sure that, that I have all the tools that I need to walk through this before I go. Like, let me do this. Let me do that. Let me do this. And we start to give God conditions. We start to depend on ourselves. See, the truth is that you'll never be able to walk through what God is asking you to walk through until you are completely dependent on him. You'll never be able to go where God actually wants you to go until you are completely dependent on him. You'll never be able to walk through the struggle that you're actually going to walk through until you are completely dependent on him. You'll never be able to become the person that God wants you to do or be until you are actually completely dependent on him. See, every time that we try to depend on ourselves, Every time we actually want to take control and we want to be the one that is in control, we set ourselves up for failure. See, in John 15, 
Jesus says this, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, or it is, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, just like a vine, if I went up to a vine and pulled a branch off, what's going to happen? That branch is going to die, right? It's not going to produce any fruit. See, without the vine, without being connected to the vine, it actually can't produce fruit. It's dependent upon the vine. It can't produce fruit without it. Again, Jesus is the greatest example for this. In John 11, at the raising of his friend Lazarus, Scripture says this, And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Completely dependent on his father. He looked to the heaven and prayed before raising Lazarus from the dead. My question today is, are you living completely dependent on God or yourself? Are you living dependent on something else, whether it's money, whether it's your job, whether it's your status, whether it's whatever it may be, you fill it in. Are you completely dependent on that or are you completely dependent on God? What does obedience and full dependence on God look like for you today? Remember, as we said earlier, in our obedience and dependence on God, there's an incredible blessing that we only get to experience if we actually are obedient and dependent on God. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.